Now, tell the truth. How many of you had to repent sometime this week? How many of you had to repent on the way to church? Don't tell me. (laughs) But really, actually, I'm glad you did because now you're clearer if you did. But I want to talk to you about the connection today between repentance and successful spiritual warfare. I know there's not a person in here that doesn't want to win the battle. But sometimes we really don't understand the tools God's given us. And we know all about the armor of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, and all that. But we don't know about the tool of repentance, because repentance really postures us to win. And so I'm going to show you that today, out of 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. And I want you to notice what Paul, how Paul connects uh, repentance with, or a clear conscience with successful spiritual warfare. Now he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a what, everybody? A clear conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Look at that. A clear conscience prepares you and postures you for successful warfare But without a clear conscience, we're in danger of shipwrecking. Isn't that amazing? So a clear conscience must really be important. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for the word of God, and we pray that you will speak to our hearts. Lord, as I read this morning in my devotional, how you gave the two men on the road to Emmaus the ability to understand the word. Give us the ability to understand the word. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. And we thank you for it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, open my eyes and teach my heart so that I can grow and win my battles in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, keep it clear, keep it clear, keep it clear. Good to see all of you here at 9 o'clock. Isn't it beautiful outside? This is the way it ought to be all the time. Ought to be this way all the time. Now, again, notice how Paul links successful spiritual warfare with a clear conscience. He's very clear about this. Keep your conscience clear, he says, so that you can wage the good warfare. And I wanted to show you, this is the way the Apostle Paul lived out his own life. Look at the importance he put on a clear conscience. He said, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. He said, I I make it my goal, it's my resolve, that I'm going to keep a clear conscience vertically and horizontally between me and God and me and others. It's my resolve. So a clear conscience was really important to the Apostle Paul. And Peter exhorted us to do the very same thing. 1 Peter 3.16 says, keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, you keep your conscience clear and you just live them down. You live your critics down, which is what I love to do. Just live them down. And you live them down by living right. Amen? And again, Paul writes that the very purpose of sound doctrine, which just means healthy Bible teaching, is to lead us into walking with a clear conscience. He tells Timothy, again, the purpose of the commandment or of the word of the Bible you hold in your hand, the purpose of it 
is love out of a pure heart, from a clear conscience, and from sincere faith. Now let me tell you what a clear conscience is. It's very simple. A clear conscience is the condition of being guilt-free through the blood of Jesus. Period. I'm not carrying my guilt around because I've taken it to the right place. See, our culture will try to numb a guilty conscience away. We try to drink it away, drug it away, deny it away, philosophize it away. But the only way to get rid of a guilty conscience is to go to the foot of the cross where Jesus shed his blood and allow that blood to cover your sin and wash away your guilt. And then you're really guilt-free, and that's a clear conscience. It's when I know I'm no longer in trouble with God. Isn't that a good feeling? Remember when you got saved and how suddenly it felt like a great weight had lifted off your shoulders? That's because you were no longer at war with God, no longer guilty before God, and you had made peace with God. And as we shared last week, when you make peace with God, you experience the peace of God. Now, there's only one way, as I said, to, clear, to, to obtain a clear conscience, and that's through the word repent. That's the only way. Repentance is a beautiful word. We must repent before God in order to receive his forgiveness. And when we receive his forgiveness, we receive a clear conscience. But it all begins with repent. See, you're not saved until you repent. Most of you in here today have been born again. You know Jesus. You walk with Jesus. You love Jesus. And you know how that began? It began with repentance. If we hadn't repented, we would have never been saved. Repentance is the door, or the key to the door, I should say, that, that opens the door to salvation. You know, just imagine a door. Here it is. Here's a door, a great, big, impressive door. And on the front of the door, it says, repent. And when we do it, when we repent, the door swings open and we walk into a brand new life through Jesus Christ. But it all begins with repentance. I shared with you in this series that the New Testament and its preaching began. The first word out of John the Baptist's mouth was repent. First word out of Jesus' mouth was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Peter told the Pentecost crowd, repent, that times of refreshing may come upon you. Paul told the Athenian intellectuals, you must repent. God is calling all men everywhere to repent. And so over and over again in the New Testament, we encounter the word repent as the key that opens the door to the blessings God has for us. So repent is a beautiful word. Thank God he has given us the privilege of repenting. Amen? Aren't you glad when you mess up you can say, Lord, forgive me, and you're clear? Aren't you glad for the ability to repent? Thank God he's given us a way to unload our guilt and enjoy the peace and the rest of a clear conscience. Now listen again to Paul's words regarding the connection between successful spiritual warfare and repentance. He said, keep your conscience clear so that you can wage a good warfare. Keep your conscience clear. Well, the only way to keep your conscience clear is to practice repentance, a life of repentance. I repent all the time. You say, do you really preach? I said, I, I really do. And don't call me preacher. Call me Pastor Jeff. I preach, but I, I hate that. Hey, preacher. Don't call me preacher. 
just Pastor Jeff will do. Jeff is okay too. There's a shocker. But, but watch now. The only way that we have a clear conscience is to repent regularly. Here's the reason it matters. The reason a clear conscience is directly linked to successful spiritual warfare is because when our fellowship with God has been broken through some kind of sin, we experience guilt and condemnation. Immediately a shadow becomes, comes between us and God. When we sin, when we mess up, we say something. We think something. We do something. We, we, we develop an attitude that isn't pleasing to God. And the minute that happens, something comes between us and God. There is guilt and there is condemnation. And here's what that affects. It affects our confidence that God is with us and that he's hearing our prayers. It takes away our confidence. Listen to what John wrote. John wrote, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. But now let me flip that. If we do feel guilty... We can't come to God with bold confidence. Amen. John goes on, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. So let me read it again. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. But if we do feel guilty, it robs us of our confidence before God. When we feel guilty, our boldness and our confidence are stripped away. And it's very important in warfare of all times. When you know the devil is coming against you and you are fighting for your life, it is so important to know that God is with you. You know, I've said to the Lord so many times, if I know God is with me, I can run through a troop, I can leap over a wall, I can face any devil in hell, I can win any battle. If I know that God is with me, no wonder Moses prayed. He looked up to God right before they were headed into conquering and facing enemies, he said, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us. I understand that so well. Listen, whenever I undertake something for the Lord, I say, Lord, if you're not going with me, I'm not going. I'm only going to go if you're going. If I know you're going, I'll go. But if I know you're not going, I'm not touching it because I, I don't do what I do in the strength of Jeff. I do what I do in the strength of Jesus Christ who is with me. I've got to know he's with me. But see, when there's guilt and unconfessed sin, then it affects my confidence that God is with me. Because I know there's something between me and him. So in order to be warfare ready, we've got to learn at all times how to keep a clear conscience at all times. And resolve like Paul to strive always. Everybody say always. That means at all times, it is my resolve to strive to work at keeping a clear conscience before God and man. So how do we keep a clear conscience? I want to give you three simple ways. And I hope you write these down because you're going to need it before you get home today. Amen? Here's three simple ways to keep a clear conscience. First, you've got to repent quickly. Repent quickly. Resolve to never give an unconfessed sin a long shelf life. You know, isn't it funny how in the natural we know if I leave bread out in the open, unprotected, it's going to get stale and moldy. I know that. I know that if I cut my finger and I don't put something on it and I don't take care of it, it's going to get infected. We know all these things in the natural. 
But listen, what we've got to understand is in the same way, unconfessed sin will work against us by hardening our heart and dulling our conscience. Yep. Without confessing sin quickly, have you ever noticed, if you don't confess it quickly, what convicts you today will hardly bother you tomorrow. Now I'm going to say that again. If you don't confess your sin quickly, your heart hardens and it gets dull. Now, now I, I came today knowing I'm going to meddle with some of your stuff, but, but I love for the Word of God to meddle with me. Because when the Word of God meddles with me, it helps me to walk with Jesus and grow up. So, so let me move in, and let me, just, let me just show you what happens when we don't confess sin. When we don't confess our sin quickly, what bothers us today hardly touches us tomorrow. Because immediately our heart begins to grow dull, and our eyes blind, our ears heavy, so that we, we very soon, if we don't confess, we begin to grow dull in our hearts and in our ears and in our eyes when it comes to perceiving and hearing and walking with God. I don't know about you, but I want to hear the slightest whisper from God. Amen? Jesus talked about the deadening effects of unconfessed sin. Listen to what Jesus said. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. He's talking about the deadening effects of unrepentant hearts of unconfessed sin. He said, what happens when you don't confess it is your ears get, your spiritual ears get hard of hearing. This is why Jesus was always saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That means you can hear with your natural ear. Everybody in here is hearing me. But you know what? It could be that not everybody is understanding me. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. That means if you've got an ear to hear, then may you also understand what the word of God is saying to you. We, we hear all the time the word of God. There's all kinds of people. I can, I can look at the congregation uh, on any given Sunday, and I can see the people who are really getting it, and I can see people who are clock-eyed. And they're not getting it at all. they got other things on their mind. Amen? Come on, everybody. Jeremiah the prophet spoke about this all the time. Jeremiah was raised up of God to address Judah before they went into judgment. And he began to look at how they responded to the word of God or not. And here's what he said. Everybody is dull-hearted, without knowledge. All of Judah, they heard him, but they didn't hear him. They could hear his voice, but they didn't understand the word. Matter of fact, in another place, he said, you literally, you hate the word of God. You despise the word of God. So they heard it, but they didn't understand it because they refused to repent and get unconfessed sin under the forgiveness of God. And it began to stop up their ears and blind their eyes. Isaiah the prophet noticed the same effect on Israel due to their lack of repentance. He wrote, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. For the hearts of this people, watch this, the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. I look at America today, and i got to tell you, America looks so much like Judah of old to me. Because now America is literally outlawing the preaching and the ministry of the Word of God. It's starting right now in California. Right now in California, they're passing bills that make it illegal for me to minister to certain people. It's happening right now. 
And what begins in California, I hate to say it, but it comes this way. You see, there is a, there is a closing off. There is a shutting down from hearing the word of God. Hearing you will hear, but you will not understand. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The hearts of America have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Imagine this. You're standing by a sunlit window, and it's a very, very cold winter day. We've all experienced this. It's freezing outside, but you've got a, you've got a, a window where the, the sun is shining in. The air is frigid, but the sun is shining through the window, and it begins to warm you, and you bask in the glow of that warmth. And then you pull the drape closed. And when you pull the drape closed, instantly the warmth stops. Is it because the sun stops shining? No, it's because something has come between you and the sun. The moment you open the drapes again, the sun can warm you, but it's up to you. The barrier is not outside. The barrier is inside the house. So when we refuse to repent, it's like pulling a drape over the sunshine of God's love and God's presence and God's blessing and God's fellowship when we don't confess. But when we confess, it's like pulling a curtain open and God's love shines in, his word begins to speak again and the fellowship is restored. See, when a Christian sins and doesn't confess it, he doesn't lose his salvation, he loses his fellowship. But when we say, okay, Lord... I admit it, I did this, I did that, I said this, I thought that, I, I went and committed that action, and, and I confess it to you, and I ask you to forgive me, whoosh, the drapes are pulled open, and the sunshine of God's love comes in again. And even though it is cold in this world, you are warmed by the love of God. Amen? In the very same time, we've all noticed that when you travel, the further away you get from your favorite radio station, the more and more static it gets. And you're trying to tune that thing in. You're trying to search for the same message on another channel. But, but that radio station is growing more and more staticky, more and more difficult to understand. But when you finally turn around and return home, the radio station starts coming in clear, loud and clear again. It's the same way. When we don't confess sin, God's voice gets staticky. It gets distant. We can't make it out because the fellowship is affected. But when we say, Lord, forgive me, it's like we're coming home and the radio station now is coming in loud and clear. I've noticed that when I repent, when I repent, amen, when I repent, one of the first things to happen is I begin to hear the voice of God again and mercy drops begin to fall again, and the fellowship is restored again, and I've got the peace of God again, and I feel like I could take on the world again because I'm right with God. And when I'm right with God, all is right with the world. So everybody say, repent fast. Amen. I'm going to get this CD. This is good stuff. I'm going to get this. The second key to keeping a clear conscience is to keep things clear both vertically and horizontally. Notice what Paul said, I strive always to keep my conscience clear in two directions, before God vertically and before man horizontally. Now we fully understand getting right with God, don't we? 
If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But, but, see, but see, Paul said, it's not just a vertical issue with me, but a, a clear conscience also requires that I make sure things as much as possible are clear horizontally with me and men. Listen to what Jesus said about this. He said, if you take your gift to the altar, now the gift of the altar can be you, just, you come to church to offer your sacrifice of praise. You're coming to be spiritual. You're coming to worship God. If you take your gift to the altar, but there you remember your brother has something against you, he said, leave your gift at the altar, go and make right what is wrong between you and him, then come back and offer your gift. Look at how important it was in the mind of Jesus that we not only keep our conscience clear this way, but we keep it clear this way. As much as we can. He's talking about a clear conscience horizontally. Like Paul said, it's my resolve. I'm going to stay clear with God, but I'm also going to stay clear with my brother, clear with my sister, clear with anybody I can get clear with. See, if we don't do that, here's the deal. The same hardness that happens vertically when we don't confess before God and that relationship is affected and we don't hear him anymore we don't see his truth anymore. We're not fellowshipping. The, the, the relationship is broken. He said the same thing happens horizontally between us and others when we don't quickly make things right. Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly. Your adversary being the spouse you're in a fight with, the brother you're in a fight with, the sister you're in a fight with, the boss you're in a fight with. The neighbor you're in a fight with. Make it right if you can. Now, you won't always be able to because, and Paul knew this. Listen to what Paul said. If it is possible, everybody say, if it is possible. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There you go. Keep it clear this way. If it's possible. Now, some people are so ornery, they won't let you make it right with them. And I've experienced that kind of person. And aren't they just wonderful that they're in your life and my life? Where you're going to say, hey, I really want to make things right with you. Well, I don't want to make things right with you. Well, guess what? As soon as you said, I want to make things right with you, you cleared your conscience. Now it's on them. But making things right is so important and that we do it quickly. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it. Here's the word, quickly. Get over it quickly. How many marriages, just for an instance, how many marriages suffer alienation between the two parties and eventually shipwreck and divorce because of letting anger issues go on and on and on without saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the one that humbles myself. I'm going to be the one that just says, you know, uh, if I've offended you, please forgive me. I repent to you. And get it right. Get it right before or while you still can because the time will come when you may not be able to. Because the same way we harden towards God, we harden towards another person. Ka Kathy and I used to say to each other all the time, we, we did this often, several times a week, we would look at each other and we would say, are we clear? And what we meant was, have I offended you in any way? And if Kathy said, well, yeah, I wish you hadn't said this or done that, then I would say, I'm sorry, I repent. Would you forgive me? 
and I, and I get it clear. And then she would say, have I offended you? And if she had, I would tell her. And, and, and we, we kept things clear because we learned that, that if you don't keep things clear often, that, then you end up alienating and becoming estranged. You can end up living in the same house with strangers. This happens with spouses. It happens with us and children. It happens with us and parents. It happens with us and neighbors. We got to keep things clear. I strive always to keep a clear conscience between God and others. Amen? Are we clear? Are we clear? Are we clear? I've said to church members, are we clear? Well, really, no, we're not clear. Well, how come we're not clear? And, and, and I, will, I will, listen, even if you think they're wrong, repent. Well, I'm not going to repent if, if, if I'm not wrong. Why? They think you're wrong, and if it's real to them, it's real. So just eat it. <laughs> Humble yourself. And just eat it and make things right. <laughs> Amen, Pastor Jeff. Seriously. There were many times Kathy would say to me something that, that she felt that I did. And I said, man, I, I don't think I did that. But I would say, okay, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, and forgive me. I, I've told the story, but I'll tell you again. One time we had, we had what I would call a hearty disagreement. And that's my way of saying an argument, but I'm not going to tell you we argued. We had a hearty disagreement. And, and I was supposed to preach that night. And I was supposed to actually go to another town and preach, and she couldn't come with me. But we had this hearty disagreement before I was supposed to walk out the door. And, and, and my whole attitude was terrible. My attitude was, I'm right, you're wrong, God will talk to you while I'm off doing his work. <laughs> and I got in my car, and I burned some rubber out of that driveway. I said, Lord, thank you. I'm right. She's wrong. Thank you for the anointing. And I got about halfway there, and the Holy Ghost said to me, you want to be anointed tonight? Seriously. You want to be anointed tonight? You want me to bless you tonight? And I said, well, of course. He said, then you better right now call Kathy and make it right. And I said to the Lord, but she's wrong. And the Lord said to me, your attitude is wrong. Now, this is before, now I'm really dating myself here, but this is before cell phones. I had to stop and go to a pay phone. I put that quarter in. And she answered, and when she heard it was me, she said, it's about time. <laughs> I said, you know, Kathy, uh, you know, I know my attitude was terrible. I'm really sorry. And, and, and on that phone, see, it doesn't matter where you are, because with God, there's no time, there's no space. And on that phone, I said, listen, I'm so sorry that I snapped at you and that I had that attitude of self-righteousness. And she said, I'm sorry I made you mad. And right there, the anointing of God came upon me. And that night, I preached like a man from another planet. <laughs> you got to make it right vertically. You got to make it right horizontally. And you got to work at it. I strive. I work at it to keep clear between God and man. Clear conscience. A third key and a last key is this one. Repent of things 
big and small. When I was a kid, I loved pocket knives. I mean, I was so into pocket knives, I had a million pocket knives because I was a boy's boy. I was always off in the woods uh, hunting down reptiles, creatures, learning all the names of things and looking for fossils. And I lived in the creeks catching crawdads, and I was just a boy's boy. And I loved pocket knives. But I really loved it one day when my dad got me a flint stone. It was just this, this block of flint, and it had two sides. One side was real rough so that if your knife was really messed up, you could, you could knock down the really rough edges on that rough side of the flint. But then you turned it over, and that smooth side of the flint made that knife really sharp and fine. Now listen. Repenting over the big things is like that rough side of the flint. We know we need to repent over the big things. But let me give you a revelation. It's when we repent over the little things. That to God are not little, but to us they're little. But to God they're not. That really sharpens and hones our conscience into a fine-tuned weapon. I want a sensitive conscience. Not always one. I don't want to walk around always tied up in knots. You know, I don't want to be always looking at myself and always wondering, well, have I done some little thing wrong? I'm not talking about going overboard. But here's what I want. I want a conscience that can, that can detect the smallest shadow between me and God. So, so I've learned to repent over things big and things small to me. But if the Spirit of God convicts me, it's not small to God. Let me, let me bring your mind for a moment to David. Before David was king, he was stalked by King Saul for 10 long years. Can you imagine being chased by an insane man for 10 years? Having a stalker for 10 years? There were no police. There was nobody to protect David. He hid in the wilderness. He hid in caves. Saul was out to get him, and Saul had the whole Israeli army out helping him. So David, every night, went to sleep with one eye open. He's being stalked by this man, harassed by this man, tormented by this man. Many of the best psalms we have are from David's experience of being stalked by Saul. But one day, Saul entered the very cave where David and his men were hiding in the wilderness. They're they're in this cave, and in comes the stalker himself, and he doesn't know they're there. And he's tired. So he takes off his robe, and he lays down, and the stalker goes to sleep. Well, his men were thrilled. David's men were thrilled. They said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with him as you wish. And they said, David, take him out, and let's enter the throne. The Bible says David refused to kill him. But then the Bible says David crept up unnoticed, and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, there's a reason he cut it off. He'd taken off his robe to go to sleep. He cut off a corner of the robe because in just a little bit, David's going to confront Saul from a distance and say, I was right there. I could have killed you. You're going around Saul all the time, slandering me, saying that I'm trying to kill you. And now I cut off a part of your robe, and here it is. I want you to know that I was right there, and I did not kill you. So everything you're saying about me is a lie. I'm not trying to kill you. Saul, I love you. I don't want to be in battle with you, at war with you. And he held up that little corner of the robe. But I want you to look at David's response after he cut off that little bit of robe. 
It said, but then David's conscience, everybody say conscience. Now, he didn't have the Holy Ghost. He didn't have Pentecost. Not like we do. He didn't have Pentecost. He had the Holy Spirit. It was upon him. But, but he had not had Pentecost. And he didn't have the New Testament. And he didn't have Jesus. But look, David's conscience began bothering him. Because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord the King. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. Now, cutting off Saul's robe is a far cry from killing him. It seems to me a small thing. I could have killed him. But David's fine-tuned conscience said, No, I should not have touched him. Because when I enter the throne, it'll be without one smidgen of my help. It'll be by God's hand. I shouldn't have touched the Lord's anointed. Shouldn't have done it. His finely tuned conscience was sensitive to the slightest action that grieved God. And that's where I want to be. That Any little word I speak that, that grieves God, I want to know about it. I want my conscience to hey, Jeff, you shouldn't have said that. I don't want that dull conscience, dull heart, blind eyes, deaf ears. I don't want that. And I suggest to you that the fact that David was convicted by that one small thing shows that he was material for kingship. Even if it seems small to you, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, immediately repent. And in doing this, you're going to keep your conscience tender and sharp. And when we've got that tender, clear conscience, we have boldness before God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in the hour of need. That boldness comes from, folks, it comes from a clear conscience. I'm up here preaching because my conscience, is, as best I know, is clear. I could never stand up here knowing something was, was between me and God because if, if ever I need him, it's right now. But I have boldness before God because I've gotten things right as much as I know to do. The power of a clear conscience. Can we stand together? Say with me, to maintain a clear conscience, we must repent quickly. Repent horizontally and vertically. And repent over things big and small. How many of you know who Jack Hayford is? Pastor Jack Hayford. I heard him telling the story. And I'm going to close with it. It won't take long. But he talked about little things. He said, when I was a boy, I went into a store one day, and I stole a pack of gum. Slipped it right in my pocket and walked out. Can you imagine Jack Hayford doing that? Come on. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he said, years later, I was in prayer, and God brought that up to me. Hey, Jack. You remember when you stole that pack of gum? Yeah. It wasn't any big deal, Lord. It was just a pack of gum. And the Lord said, make it right. So he said, Lord, that store is probably not even there anymore. God said, make it right. He went back to the store, and it was there. He walked in and said to this guy, 
He said, you know, 27 years ago I was in here and I stole a pack of gum. He said, I want to pay you for it. And he did it. And we go, oh, come on, man, if I, if I had to resort to that, I'm going to be busy for months. <laughs> I'm only making a point. I'm only making a point that to the, a, a pack of gum, juicy fruit gum, you know, what was it back then? But he, he asked for the going price and paid it. But it was necessary to him to know that he was clear. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father. We just thank you right now for the power of a clear conscience. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to walk with a clear conscience. And you gave the blood of your Son so that we could have a clear conscience and by that wage a good warfare, knowing that you are with us and anointing us and giving us the victory. Now I want us to take a minute here today. And I want you to think, with your heads bowed, Lord, am I clear between you and me? And if the Holy Spirit says, yep, you're good, now then pray, Lord, am I clear between myself and others? And if God brings anybody to mind, then ask him for wisdom, how you can make it right. I'm not saying go do something silly, like if, if you're talking about somebody who abused you and was dangerous to you, you've got to have wisdom to know how to make it right with some people. But are you right? Are you good with your spouse? Are you good with your kids? Or are you, as a kid, good with your parents? Are you good? As much as lies within you, Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us today. Father, we want a clear conscience so that we can wage the good warfare. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to strive with Paul. To work at keeping a clear conscience vertically and horizontally at all times. Help us, Lord. And help us right now to begin today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now I want you just to spend a minute and listen to the Holy Spirit in your heart. And we're just going to worship for a moment while you listen. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Thank you, Lord. In Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place in. The atmosphere, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, come flood this place and feel the
Amen. You can say, Jeff, I needed this today. Even though it stung a little bit, I needed this today. Amen. Amen.